Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome into episode 44 of the Natural Hattrick podcast. Luke Lipinski alongside Jamie Eisner and Craig Morgan. We're going to continue our uh, team preview series here throughout the, throughout the summer, but we're going to hit three more teams today. The Pittsburgh Penguins. We're going to have Seth Rohrbach of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette on to talk about them. And then we're also going to try to figure out what the Colorado Avalanche and Vancouver Canucks are doing uh, later on in the show. Yeah, interesting pairing. Yes, and you, did that? You, you did that. Oh, and yeah. I'm guessing there was a reason for it. <laughs> Uh, but before that, we're going to get into just some of the uh, the, the news and notes from around the, the uh, National Hockey League this week. And I guess we'll start where we should really start every show, in Edmonton, with the Oilers. <laughs> Speaking of teams about whom we, we, we don't know what they're doing, uh, let, let's go to the Edmonton Oilers. You know who they remind me of? And Jamie will like this reference. They remind me of the Diamondbacks. And, and let, let, me, let me go on this for a oh minute. Oh, boy. Okay. okay. The first cross-sport reference of the show. The comes floor is yours. You think, you think things are finally heading in the right direction. You know, the Diamondbacks make a splash in the offseason, and, and then they come out and say they, they need a new building and ruin all the goodwill that they had built up over the offseason. What the heck is Edmonton doing now? The, you, you got Connor McDavid coming back. Things finally look good. You, you had a decent draft. Yeah. And then you go and trade Taylor Hall, and then you... Sign Keith Gretzky. Well, I think the, the uh, Taylor Hall trade is more egregious than the signing of Keith Gretzky, but uh, it's, it's it's curious is what it is. It, they've had a strange offseason. And I know that Jamie loves Peter Chiarelli to the my favorite utmost degree, so <laughs> you can go off here as well. But it's uh, – I don't know, because here's the thing with Edmonton. They, they're going to get better simply because of – the fact that they have Connor McDavid. And you would assume he's going to play close to 80 games this year. At least at this point, you have to assume that. But um, it seems like they're going to, every time they take a step or two forward, they're going to try and give themselves little extra hurdles to clear. And this, <laughs> this could be one of them. Yes. And again, it's funny how this, this latest move, you know, we've, we've talked about Taylor Hall on this show before. I think we're all in agreement that that was a bad trade. Yes, they needed defense terribly on that team, but you don't trade – you know, the, the former number one overall pick for a second-pairing defenseman. You just don't do that. And when you say we're all in agreement, you mean everybody on the continent except, yeah. like, four people in Edmonton. Yes, exactly. Now, with regard to Keith Gretzky, it's funny how this is being portrayed up there. It's being portrayed, hey, this, this guy had success at his previous stops. Sometimes I wonder if it's just sacrilege to say anything negative about the Gretzky family in Edmonton because Keith Gretzky probably would not be characterized as successful in his tenure with the Coyotes. If you look back at their draft history, 2006 through 2012, they, I'll, I'll go through this. You know, they made some good moves. You, can, you can't really argue with the first-round picks they made. Peter Mueller, Kyle Turris, Mikel Bodker, OEL. Brandon Gormley obviously was a mistake. Uh, Connor Murphy and then Henrik Samuelson, who 
looks like he's on his last legs in this organization. But you expect a couple misses even in the first round. That's going to happen in an organization. So when you look there, okay, he did fine. But when you get beyond the first round with what the Coyotes did in those years, wow. Yeah, you and I were looking at this. Um, and we weren't even just looking at his tenure. We were looking really back the last 15 years when we were driving back from uh, the awards show in, in, in Las Vegas a month or so ago. And, you know, like you said, you can't hit on every number, every first round pick. You, if you have the number one pick every year, you need to hit on that. But it, you can't hit on every first round pick. And they, they've had some pretty good ones. It's, it's just it's the later rounds. And yet I know the Coyotes uh, sort of plan now or sort of the mantra they're going with is you have to hit on those later round picks, at least some of them. That's how you're going to win games. And when you look around the league, the successful teams that are consistently successful have hit on later round picks. And so Edmonton's going to have to do that at some point. We talk about the players that they have. It's always their their first round, and in their case, usually the number one overall pick that is the big-name player. With the Coyotes, if you look at those years, how many players did they hit on? They hit on Michael Stone back in 2008, took him in the third round. Uh, They took Louis Domingue in the fifth round in 2010, and then Jordan Martinuk in 2012 was their second-round pick. So over that period of time, you're talking about three players. Yeah. That's not going to cut it. No, it's not, and it's been a big reason why. I mean, their first-round picks have, you know, mixed mix level of success. We're seeing a little bit more now than we did five, six years ago. But you have, like you guys said, you have to hit on those middle-round picks. You have to hit on those second- and third-round picks. And, you know, I, I, I believe someone said it's about the second-round picks. You have about a 50-50 shot, you know, based on past results of, of those players making it to the NHL. But you got to hit on some of those guys if you want to have success, especially when you're a team like the Coyotes that – you know, you're not a cap team. doesn't mean they don't have some money they can spend. But having young, good players under team control for a while is never a bad thing. Well, and, and now you start to look at their last couple of drafts and you see guys like Ryan McInnes and Christian Dvorak and Nick Merkley's a late first rounder and Christian Fisher they really like. And, and Aiden Hill in the third round could, could end up being a really solid uh, goaltender in this league. It's still very early, but, but those aren't under Keith Gretzky's regime. And so you're starting to see the difference working now for the Coyotes where they might be hitting on some of these later picks I just I look at Edmonton and I, I think to myself at some point that team is going to have to get better and if you know maybe at some point that means making the playoffs but there's probably going to be at least a year or two in there when they get better but they're picking 12th or 13th and then you have to project that out over the full draft then they're picking 42nd or 43rd in the second round and all of a sudden you know they've had a nice luxury where okay Edmonton we're going to let you just go first you take whoever you want and then we're all going to draft <laughs> they're not going to have that luxury anymore. I can't imagine they're picking number one in the Connor McDavid era again. I, it, maybe they will. I, you're making a big assumption. Yeah, that's that you, you we're sure? assuming they're going to improve. They, you, you would think that that's going to happen. Listen, Larson's going to help their blue line. He's better than a lot of what they have, oh, yeah. most of what they have. But you gave up Taylor Hall for it. it Connor McDavid's going to help it. But they, they keep – go ahead, Jamie. You're, you're dying to bug Aside from a full season of Connor McDavid – I almost said Conor McGregor. I was going to make another crossbow reference. Conor McDavid. Is this Oilers team better than the one that took the ice last October? I don't think no. it is. No, because they, they basically up front traded. They got a little bit better on defense, but it's a little bit. And then they essentially went from Taylor Hall to Milan Lucic, which mm. Lucic has been effective in this league. But what this league is today, Taylor Hall, I would take him 10 out of 10 times over Lucic. Even the L.A. Kings admitted that Milan Lucic does not work in today's NHL. And that's, that's a big admission by the L.A. Kings. And he's going to be around for a long time. That, that contract has buyout written all over it. Let's look at what Keith Gretzky said while he was in Boston. Let's move on from his Coyotes tenure. 
The Bruins recently admitted, I don't know if you guys saw this story. Did you see this? I heard you talking about it. I haven't seen it. <laughs> when they selected center Trent Frederick with a 29th overall pick, Keith Gretzky admitted that he doesn't see him as a top six forward. Don't so you have other rounds to make those you, picks? <laughs> yes. Here, here's the quote. Frederick is not going to be a top two-line guy. We know that, Bruins director of amateur scouting Keith Gretzky told reporters at the draft. But he has some jam. He plays hard with the penalty minutes. We were fortunate to get him. Because God knows you can't find guys like that. No, I mean, it's, it's extremely difficult to find bottom six grinders. And uh, I didn't know that Keith Gretzky worked for Smuckers. Yeah. I mean, he's got some jam. <laughs> Either that but, or I mean, this was a Jamaican draft. But think about his character. And he's a good athlete. Well, isn't everybody in the NHL a good athlete? Well, I hope so. I've taken him in the first round. But I, I, this is, again, talks about the strategy. Why would you ever, if you have an opportunity to take somebody with top line upside or top six upside in the first round, or really any round, why would you say, oh, you know what, we're going to play it safe and pick somebody that might make our fourth line? You can find those guys for the veteran minimum every single season. Every single season. But to be fair, if Boston picked somebody good there, they'd be traded in a couple years anyway. <laughs> Chevalier was still there. so There it is. Well, maybe they were confused because they didn't have three picks in a row in the first round. But, I mean, I guess in their defense they had already drafted Charlie McAvoy earlier in the first round, so they were just like, hey, bonus pick. Let's see what we can do. Hey, there are a lot of teams talking about taking this guy. They had to jump at him. They, there, there's, early. there is that sort of – they're not the only team. I mean, I guess in, in their defense, there's been a few teams over the last couple of years that, that seem to either enter not even so much free agency because you, you have to fill out your roster in free agency, but either trades or the draft with this intention of we've got to make our third and fourth lines great. Right. And my, my dismay would be less if, if he came out and said about this player, look, he still has some skill and some speed – so he re- we really think in today's NHL, he's going to help our bottom six. We've seen how that's impacted the league. I'd be okay with that. But he's talking about his physical presence and his jam. Yeah. Really? Well, and I'm just looking in the second round, and I'm just looking through names that I, that I recognize from Junior. And, I, and the first one that, that pops out is uh, Alex Debrinkat from Erie. And I forgot he went to Chicago. Yes, that's why I looked to the right. Of course. Of course I mean, that's the thing. Chicago scoops these guys up. When, when we sit here and we ask, how does Chicago get a Nick Schmaltz at the end of the first round or Tyler Mott or these guys or whatever, because they're never picking either in the first round at all and certainly never early, it's because other teams are taking fourth liners. Yes, they're it's playing, because Keith yeah. Gretzky does not work for the Blackhawks. because they're playing chess and half the league is playing checkers. Well, you're just sitting at the bottom of the first round and whoever comes to you, you don't have to justify. Yeah, like, how much jam does the Brink have? Well, I, and you like, know, what is this jam per 60? <laughs> <laughs> this, this new advanced <laughs> analytics. J-A-M stands Shout for something. Shout out to Sean Tierney, who brought all this up, brought this to our attention. He could probably do some kind of analytic on that, actually. actually yeah. He could get some charts on Jam per 60. I want to see that. All right, we're moving on. Do you guys have anything else you want to say? Probably a good point to move on. Who would lead the league in Jam per 60? All right. I, I, want, I want somebody to track but that But before we completely long. move on, just to completely take a tangent away, I'm, I'm looking at Twitter, and apparently Chris Johnson of the Cardinals is wearing, I didn't know these existed, Gucci flip-flops. See now, I want to go out to camp today because I didn't see those on Tuesday. So Gucci, do you know? Did you know those things existed? No, but I, I did. If you told how me how many years would we have to them? work to oh, afford those? Years I, yeah. would we have to work to afford those? Multiple. <laughs> Either that or Chris Johnson would have to just give us a pair because we just mentioned them on the air. That's about the only way any of us is ever getting Gucci. Flip-flops. Yeah, if Gucci wants to sponsor this podcast, we'd be more than happy. That'd be a very uh, strange choice for them. No, but we'll we'll drop the name a hundred times if we yes. have to. And Gucci, I think, is actually a third-round pick. If Gucci Maine wants to come on the podcast at some point, we can, we'll can work it in. There you go. All right. 
Now can I transition? Because you said you had to. You had something else it. important. <laughs> I didn't say no. I didn't say really it was important. Really, to take us far afield. I have. I have no idea. I, I want to hear not, this transition. Actually, that's a correction. I did Let's not say it transition. was important. How do you that's, get from Gucci flip flops back to Antoine Vermette? Well, Antoine Vermette is a fashionable man, and he was uh, let go by the or bought out by the Coyotes this week. Um, certainly, it, it sounded like even mixed emotions from the front office of the Coyotes because Antoine Vermette is like the most likable guy you're ever going to meet in terms of likeness factor or likability. I think he's he doesn't necessarily get the publicity in that regard only because he's overshadowed by Shane Doan, who just happens to be on his team. Yeah, I, I would agree with that entirely. Just one of those solid, solid guys that you meet. Uh, you, you wish nothing best for Antoine Vermette, but. Looking at this deal and look at, looking at where the Coyotes are going, it makes sense. Look, they, they have to find some room for their prospects. I was wondering all along how they were going to fit all the centers they had under contract. They had Martin Hansel. They had Richardson already as well, Brad Richardson. Um, and you've got two young prospects in Dylan Strome and Christian Dvorak that are bumping up against the NHL roster right now. Even if both these guys don't make it, I think Strome is on this team next year, but even if Dvorak isn't ready right away, you have someone who can fill a bottom six center role, which is probably where Antoine Vermette was going to be anyway this year, given his diminished game. You have Laurent Dauphin waiting in the wings. You have Tyler Gaudet waiting in the wings. So you have a cheaper solution that can probably be as effective or maybe more effective, you know, given the speed that you can bring and, you know, the, the, the younger legs. I'm going to throw out another name, and I don't know that he would be ready this year, but is this a role Ryan McInnes could potentially fill someday if, you know... Again, you're talking about prospects. And so to your point, Dylan Strome, the first thing I thought when I when I heard this news was, well, if Dylan Strome just shows up at training camp and is Dylan Strome, he's probably on this team. Because, yes, you had to free up room for some of these prospects, but now you've done it before camp starts. Yeah. They have to step in. But a guy like Dvorak, who's looked he's looked every bit the part of an NHL player playing junior hockey, but we don't know what he's going to be at the NHL just yet. You start talking about a few different prospects, I think you could almost throw McKinnis in that mix, especially if you're talking about a bottom six role. And this is still a transitional year for the Coyotes, even maybe even as much, if not more so, than last year, because you're going to see, like we talked about, Strom, Dvorak, maybe McInnes, maybe Laurent Dauphin, just uh, a lot of different players into that lineup to try to see where can they fit these roles long term. Those are all pieces that the organization has liked, and Dave Tippett has, has mentioned that he's liked. And now, how do they fit in the role of young guys, and how do you mix in the veterans around them so you're not having the blind leading the blind and young guys trying to lead other young guys when they're it's going to be an up and down season. Yeah, and that's. It, I, I wondered for a while if they were if they were going to look to move Martin Hansel, but on his current contract, you know, one more year at a very affordable price, it probably makes sense to hang on to him. He could be a guy, you know, if they're not in a playoff position where they look to move him at the trade deadline because he'll have absolutely have some value to teams at that point. But to answer your earlier question about Ryan McInnes, absolutely, I I think he is a guy who's probably going to fill a bottom six center role on this team. He might be the guy that fills Martin Hansel's role if he continues his progression. I don't think he's quite ready for it yet. Uh, I've had a couple of people in the organization tell me he probably needs a little more seasoning, more development, but obviously they like his progression. I mean, he wowed him more than anybody. In, in terms of their prospect pool, he progressed more than anybody in the system last season. So they have you know, this abundance of young talent at the center position. It's time to start moving some of it up to the club. It is interesting, though, and this, this you know, I'm sad to see Antoine Vermette go. I think we all are, and especially just in my role. He's a great interview. He's a great guy to talk to. And he did, he. it's not like he was just some charity case that he was on the team because he was a good guy. He contributed a lot for this team when they went to the Western Conference Finals. Really, every year except last year, he was a, a strong contributor. 
and even the second half of last year when he was paired with Alex Tangay, he was good. But I, I, I get business-wise why they make the move. He wouldn't have filled this role, though. But when, when Jamie talks about, you know, you can't have all young players, if you start to look at who's signed for next year, mm-hmm. who are the vets for next year? I mean, at that point, you're saying Oliver ekman Larson is your main bet for next year. And Alex Goligoski, but he hasn't even played a game with the Coyotes yet. Well, you have to wait and, and watch what other moves they're going to make. Again, I don't I don't think John Chica is through dealing. I think there are more moves that he would like to make this offseason. Oh, it doesn't, doesn't mean he will because you have to have a willing partner and the, and the price has to be right. But I do think he wants to make more moves. I know there's this thread out there that the Coyotes are just cutting costs again. They're, they're, they're chopping down the payroll. You know, maybe, maybe it's it's possible that everything that I'm hearing and others are hearing is is just a, a marketing line. I don't think so, though. I, I think they're trying to be aggressive here. I do think that they're trying to add to this roster. But again, you have to you have to make sure that you're not giving up too much of your future in order to do it. So, if if that means waiting another year, waiting another two years, and letting it develop organically, so be it. Don't mess up the plan that you put in place here. Well, yeah, even if you bring in a vet, he's not going to be a vet that's been on this team for years and years. So he's right. not going to know the locker room like a guy like, you know, I, I'm assuming Shane Doan doesn't have a whole lot left, even though he, he played very well last year. And I could see him being very productive this year. At some point, he's just not going to want to. Well, I shouldn't say he's not going to want to keep playing. He would play when he was 80. Yeah. But, you know, at a certain point, he's not going to be in that locker room as somebody that's that's taking shifts. You know, he might just be around the team. So it's, it is just it's when you have that youth movement, you start to look around, and you're like, who are going to be the leaders in this this locker room? And certainly OEL fits that bill, and Max Domi does as well, but Max Domi's still incredibly young, and so he's mature for his age. But it is there is a, a, a as Jamie said, you're still in the middle of the transition period, and the Coyotes haven't been shy about that. They've been open all along that this is not a, a six-month transition period. It's going to take a few years. As we talked about on a past podcast about the value of Shane Doan beyond what he brings to you on the ice, it's that leadership. It's someone that's been through the wars. It's someone to tell the young players when they're on a five-game losing streak what to say in the locker room so a five-game losing streak doesn't turn into a ten-game losing streak. And It's things like that that you can't really quantify, but it's something that just to kind of you – know, you have a lot of young guys. A lot of them were the best players on their teams, when they, whether they were in juniors or whether they were in the AHL. Now they're kind of they're now they're just one of the guys, yeah. and I don't I don't look at any of the the, the rookies that are come in and think they're going to do what a McDavid did or a Panarin did. I don't see seventy points coming from those players. I'm seeing thirty, forty, maybe fifty if they everything clicks well. That means I, I can see Domi going over sixty points. Well, I meant the newer oh, guys. The newer Dome, guys Domi okay. could, but yeah. everybody else is kind of in that range. Meaning they're going to be prolonged stretches where they're not scoring. It might go two, three weeks without putting a goal in in the net, and it's about someone that's had that experience to say, put his you know, arm around you, say, okay, this is what we can do. Here's what we can do a little bit differently. Here's what I did when I experienced that. You can't have a bunch of 20-year-olds doing that all together with no other veteran leadership, or you kind of get what Edmonton had in years yeah, past. Yeah, and that's, a, and that's an that. excellent point. And they, they, they're aware of that. They have cited Edmonton as you know, one of those examples of what we can't become. We can't have this roster be completely comprised of young guys who don't know the NHL way yet. So you're right, Luke. It's it's going to be interesting next year with Antoine Vermette gone, and he was going to be gone next year anyway. Yeah, so he I'm was. Not but saying but if Shane Doan and Martin Hansel are also gone, you're talking about a, a big chunk of your leadership. Then there really aren't any veterans around that you can say, okay, this is the guy that steps in. El, yes, he's still a young guy. He'll be you 26 probably, next year. Yeah, you probably need to find a couple of those guys. You need to find that presence, whether it be in free, probably in free agency, and hopefully Goligoski can be a guy like that. Too. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's at least in his 30s, which it's, 
It's going to be. Yeah, we'll find out about that. We don't know yeah. what sort of presence he'll have in the locker room yet. But that that is something to watch down the road because you need that presence. You need to be able to balance it. Dave Tibbet has said that many times. You need that right balance of veterans and young guys. Now, on the flip side, they have had Doan for a couple years, and they're going to have Doan again this upcoming year as well. So that's already something Edmonton never really had. And once they make this transition, if they do it well, these guys are all skill guys, unlike players the Coyotes have had really. I mean, this potential collection of skill, we're talking since like the late 90s. And so uh, there's certainly there's certainly a reward if they pull this off. I, this wasn't supposed to be a Coyotes preview, but since we're here, <laughs> I'm going to just ask you this, Craig. They've got eight defensemen that I could see playing NHL minutes around the league signed already for next year. Yeah. And look, a guy like Jacob Chikrin wasn't going to come up this year, even though you know he's got the attitude that he, he, he intends to. But realistically, especially now when you have eight defensemen signed, people forget that they went out and, and uh, they have Jamie McBain too. So yeah. they've got a lot of defensemen. What's, you can't really go into the season with all these guys. No, and I, I don't think they want to. I think they want to make another move. I still, as, as I've seem to say in every podcast that still think the Coyotes are chasing a right-handed defenseman for their top four. I still think they're interested in Kevin Shattenkirk, who I, I have been told by multiple people is absolutely still on the market. There are other names that have been thrown around out there, too. Jacob Truba is another name that comes up. I can't believe what a pick. I, I, I can't believe it, his name keeps coming up. They have so up. much tied up in their blue line. I get that. They have a lot of money tied up in their blue line. But, but we've still, already solved that problem. Move Bufflin yes, up and yes, sign Jacob Truba. Yes, put Dustin Bufflin on the wing where I think he belongs anyway, but... You, yeah, I mean, in their defense, he gets more minutes, right, playing on the blue line. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, I, I do think that the Coyotes are still trying to make a deal here. Again, whether it comes to fruition, who knows, because there are a lot of moving parts in making a trade in the NHL, but they're trying. Well, if this is what you go in, because, I mean, you're talking about trading for another defenseman. Now, obviously, defensemen would be involved going the other way, but you've got Oliver ekman Larson, Alex Goligoski, Michael Stone, Connor Murphy, Zabinik McCulloch, Luke Shen, Kevin Connaught, and Klaus Dahlbeck, and Jamie McBain all signed for this upcoming season. Mm-hmm. You figure at most they're only going to have seven on the roster, maybe eight for a little bit to start the year. I mean, and, and some of that's good. I mean, ultimately... If you go into the season with all those players, you have more depth on defense than 99% of the teams in the league. Maybe that creates a, a competition situation for those for that bottom pairing as well, where you've got guys needing to be at the top of their game, or they know they're going to sit out that night, or yeah. maybe even be you know down in the AHL or on waivers or w- whatever the situation is. But don't forget, aside from aside from trying to get that top four right-handed defenseman, which would really alter the face of this entire group that we're talking about again and really put a lot of guys in, in dire straits, they still need help on right wing as yeah. well. They, they, yeah. They've got to address that situation. They only have one top six right wing right now. And then there are the Tobias Reeder contract negotiations, which just continue to drag on, and mm-hmm. new information seems to come out every day. Well, I'll tell you what. After we talked about the Devils' blue line last week, this is uh, this is the opposite end of the spectrum. The Devils had like four NHL defensemen. The Coyotes have nine. trade Taylor Hall. Yeah, I don't think I think if Edmonton went back and they're like, hey, we'll give you Adam Larson for Taylor Hall, Ray Shiro would laugh in their face <laughs> right now. All right, we're going to get to the uh, previews here unless Jamie has something else to say. No, I, I'll, I'll save it for our Coyotes preview. Oh, wow, save look it. at that. Okay, I don't even know. That's like six weeks away, isn't yeah. it? We have to check the date. Okay. All right, like, so. Sounded like scorn for you two for bringing this up in the first place. <laughs> that, did I detect that? I, there's always scorn no. coming from that Yeah, side probably of the from the side of the room. That's why Jamie has to sit on that side of the room now. Yeah, I've, I've been banished. Yes, you banished yourself. All right, so uh, we're going to hit these team previews. We're going to start with the Pittsburgh Penguins. We're going to talk to Seth Rohrbaugh of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. 
All right, as we continue to preview the uh, the teams around the NHL, we're joined now by Seth Rohrbaugh of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette to talk about the defending Stanley Cup champion Pittsburgh Penguins. Seth, first of all, uh, thanks for the time uh, this this afternoon. And I guess what is what is the mood around that team as, as they get a little closer now to, to trying to be the first team in, what, almost 20 years to defend the Stanley Cup? Oh, I think everyone's eager uh, to kind of see what they can do here. Um, it's going to be a really short offseason uh, when you consider the World Cup of Hockey. Uh, going to start up here in roughly a month in terms of the training camp. So um, I think it was something like less than 97 days between winning the Cup and when the World Cup uh, training camp would start up. And you know, obviously that's only maybe for a, for a handful of players. But, I mean, those are some pretty key players when you're talking about guys like Sidney Crosby, Kenny Malkin, some others. So, um, yeah, I think everyone's eager to kind of get back at it. But uh, I think there's a, a lot of valid concern as far as uh, uh, I'm just having a very, very short offseason. Following up on that question, Seth, do you see the Penguins maybe being in the best position to repeat of any team in recent memory? I, I think about some of the teams of the past. Chicago seems to lose half its roster every time it wins a cup. Uh, some of the other teams that come to mind, I just don't remember a team having so much coming back again the following season, pretty much every key piece. Yeah, the only player, they, they, the only player they really lost was, was uh, Ben Lovejoy, who went to uh, the New Jersey Devils and uh, they're still trying to make an effort to re-sign Matt Cullen, who was a pretty valuable fourth-line center for him, and, and I think that's going to get done. I think it's just a matter of uh, uh, of getting some of some some of the you know the details of their salary cap kind of ironed out once they get to the, once the season approaches. But uh, no, this is a it, it's almost exactly the same exact team that's coming back here, uh, you know, into the next season. Uh, you know, we've seen some situations before where, where you know largely come back intact, but they just don't uh, you know they just don't come through. But uh, I can't really recall a team really since, you know, uh, maybe those uh, Penguins and Red Wings teams back in 2008 and 2009 that would have uh, this much of a shot to, to really, you know, make a legitimate run at the Stanley Cup final again. Uh, uh, like I said earlier, I mean, it's, it's largely the same exact team coming back. With the uh, the pressure in that market to win, and obviously with the lineup that they they've had for the last few years, and, and they maybe didn't uh, fulfill their own expectations, how much of a sense of of just simply relief was there last year to win the cup? And I guess if if there was a sense of relief, is there any fear of a letdown this year? No, I, I definitely think over the past you know seven years of having not won the cup after the '09 championship, uh, you know there was a lot of pressure on you know why can't this team. Uh, Win it again, and you know, two years ago, you said as a result, you saw them kind of clean house with their management in terms of, you know, firing Richard, the former GM, and you know, firing Dan Bowles, the former head coach, and um, and even you know, midway through the past last season, you know, they had to fire the the, the, the predecessor or the successor to Dan Bowles and Mike Johnson. So, uh, just from that standpoint, uh, you know, having one of the largest uh, payrolls in the NHL uh, year in year out, uh, they finally were able to win the Stanley Cup and. Uh, no, I definitely sense there, there was a you know some relief in that regard, and um, if there's a letdown next season, I, I'm not sure it's going to be a you know a criminal offense by any means, but uh, uh, certainly the expectations are extremely high for this team and uh, going into the next season, and uh, you know they're, they're high every season, but uh, they're going to be even higher going into the next. Season. Seth, if there's one thing or a couple things you think this team is missing, uh, as we've talked about them feeling like a, a Stanley Cup contender already in the in the preseason. What do you think they're missing in terms of roster construction or things of that nature? Well, Ben Lovejoy, and not that he's going to make or break any roster, but he was a right-handed defenseman. And, and you know, for whatever reason, those are rare to find in the NHL. Uh, and, you know, they had a nice setup last season when everyone was healthy. They had, uh, 
you know, in their top six, three lefties, three righties. And, uh, you know, they, they, they bring Maurice time Justin Schultz to the one-year deal. He's right-hand defenseman. You have, and you have Chris Letang, who's on the ice on the seemingly for a half-hour game. Uh, he's a right-hand defenseman, too. So I'm um, trying to find, you know, some kind, some kind of, uh, you know, alternative to Ben Lovejoy on that, uh, uh, on that other pairing there. Uh, you know, he's trying to find another right-hand defenseman. You know, every, every coach likes to have that lefty-righty combination. And, you know, Mike Sullivan's been very upfront as far as saying he absolutely, you know, thinks it's vital to have a kind of righty-lefty combination. So, uh, yeah, Ben Lovejoy might not seem like a like a huge uh, loss on paper, but uh, just in terms of the righty-lefty dynamic and maybe how it impacts all the other defensive pairs, I think that's maybe uh, uh, probably the biggest room for concern as far as uh, any sort of void they might have going into the next season. Seth, you mentioned uh, the pressure that this organization was under, this team was under, to, to win a cup again after go, having such a long drought. The answer to this question clearly is going to be a matter of opinion, but do you think Sidney Crosby needed a second Stanley Cup to solidify his legacy in this league? Um, I don't think he needed it. I, it certainly helped. Um, uh, and, you know, it, it certainly maybe restored some of his reputation in terms of you know people just fawning over him and... Uh, you know, winning winning the Conn Smith as well probably didn't hurt matters either. So, uh, no, I, I think it probably, you know, put it in a little bit more safer spot, I guess, in terms of winning a second one. Um, you know, to me, he's still, you know, one of the three or four best players in the NHL in the world. Uh, he's, uh, he's a guy that uh, he just does so many things for the league on and off the ice uh, in terms of representing the game and uh, – uh, I mean, I'm not saying he's Wayne Gretzky or Mario Lemieux in terms of the, the caliber of player, but um, he's in that echelon or in that place in terms of being the face of the game. And uh, winning a Stanley Cup and winning the Clemson Knights food, I think, uh, only solidified that uh, that reputation. Did you notice a change in, in his demeanor at all this year's playoffs as opposed to maybe the last couple of years? Because I guess, you know, from 3,000 miles away and, and what they were just talking about on TV and just sort of the, you know, you read the, the, the media about him or whatever, there was there was talk that he took his leadership to a whole nother level, but then you talk to the coaches or the GM and they're like, that leadership's always been there. It did, though, seem like his demeanor on the ice was a little bit different. Well, I think things were easier for him on the ice. Uh, you know, in years past, you know, Crystal Payne kind of said this midway through the playoffs. He said in years past, it wasn't Crosby or Malkin scoring the goals. That was it. No one else was scoring. Well, all of a sudden, you had kind of had that HBK line, Haglin, Benino, and Kessel kind of come out of nowhere. Uh, they were kind of balancing things out. You know, they, they kind of forced the other teams to kind of worry about them as well. Uh, in years past, you would see Sidney Crosby's line or Giddy's Malkin's line, you know, get the, the bulk share of, you know, defensive coverage, whether it was the top defensive center or the top defensive pairing. Uh, and, you know, when you had this third line here, and in, in some cases even the fourth line would contribute too, uh, you know, the, the scoring was kind of more spread out and it forced the opposition to kind of, you know, worry about that extra line there. So and I think as a result that opened up things for Sidney Crosby and Andy Malton to a lesser degree. So um, in that sense, I think things were maybe easier for Sidney Crosby in terms of just not always being the focal point of the other team's defense. And, yeah, as a result, I think he probably had a much more enjoyable time. It was probably maybe a little bit more uh, lighthearted uh, uh, going into the playoffs. So, uh, no, I, I just think it was a matter of the team being much more balanced uh, in terms of making life easier for Sidney Crosby. In light of that, Seth, what lessons do you think other teams can take from the Penguins' roster construction? You know, there's been a lot of talk about you have to commit a lot of money to your top players, to your core players, but then you have to figure out how to fill in around. What lessons do you think the Penguins can provide for other clubs? Well, I, the one thing Jim Rutherford was very upfront about was, 
you know, they didn't feel the need to bring to add any toughness. And you look at the year before, they had you know, a guy like Steve Downey who, uh, you know, he, yeah, he had some talent, but his primary qualification for being in NHL at the time was because he was a tough guy. He would fight anyone. And um, Jim Rutherford pretty much said, you know, we want, you know, we want skill, we want speed. And, you know, if we need toughness on the rare occasion, we'll recall it. You know, we'll bring on the roster for maybe a game or two. And um, you look at that Penguin roster, there really weren't, you know, too many of the classical tough guys. And I'm not even just talking about enforcers. I'm talking about, you know, you know, guys like, you know, say like a Dwight King or, a, you know, a Jordan Nolan, like the LA King staff. I mean, uh, the Penguins had, all, you know, a, a pretty, you know, fast and, 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 and you know, skilled roster. And, uh, and that was their focal point, really, from last offseason to, to winning the Stanley Cup. And, uh, I mean, on top of that, too, I think they, they kind of finally turned, started turning some of the younger guys they have in the minor leagues, guys like Brian Rust and uh, Scott Wilson and some others. That, that, that's really kind of contributed this past season. So, uh, no, I, I think the Penguins, uh, you know, and it's, it's always a copycat league. You know, no matter who ever wins the cut, everyone wants to try to win it the way they did. And um, I, I think the one thing the Penguins really showed that was that you know, toughness isn't necessarily an element you absolutely need uh, this day and age in the NHL to win the Stanley Cup. Talking to Seth Rohrbaugh of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You can find him on Twitter, at Empty Netters. Uh, Seth, it certainly helps when you get strong goaltending play in the playoffs. The Penguins have had that in the past, but then they've had struggles at times in, in the postseason with Marc-Andre Fleury. Matt Murray played out of his mind uh, this, this past postseason. How do you see that goalie situation shaking out heading into next season and then maybe even more importantly uh, beyond when, when that expansion draft rolls around? Well, I mean, they're going to enter the season with both goaltenders, and, I, and the plan seems to be that they're going to platoon with them both. Uh, uh, as wonderful as Matt Murray did play in the playoffs, he, he's never played a full 82 games, uh, 82 game schedule. Not that goaltenders play 82 games, but uh, been the starting goaltender for the bulk of 82 games at the NHL level. Uh, Mark Andre Fleury has, for any of his shortcomings as a postseason goaltender, he's always been a pretty marvelous and reliable regular season goaltender. So. Um, no, I, I think they, they have every intention to kind of try to figure it out as the season goes on. Uh, I, both goaltenders kind of see themselves as being the number one guy, and uh, that's maybe a good problem to have. But, uh, uh, man, yes, you do have the specter of the uh, the, post, uh, the expansion draft kind of overhanging everything like that. But uh, I think the one thing that last season showed is that you need maybe some depth in the goaltending position, uh, particularly if your starter, Marc-Andre Fleury, happens to go down with injury. So, um, and the Penguins still are in the business of trying to win the Stanley Cup in 2017. If you trade Mark Andre Fleury away for a third-round pick or whatever, just because you know you're worried about the expansion draft, to me that doesn't seem like a move that would really help you in terms of winning the Stanley Cup next season. So, um, yes, it's something they have to kind of consider. But uh, at the same time, too, they're, they're, they want to win the Stanley Cup next season. I think uh, uh, they see having depth as that position, as all well, as, as all positions, uh, is vital for them to try to accomplish that goal. Uh, getting back to the blue line for a second, Ole Mata gets gets a, a pretty nice deal. He shows a lot of uh, potential in his, his his first couple seasons with the Penguins, but you know, he had kind of an up-and-down second half last year. He's had health issues, and then you look at it and you realize he's still only 21 years old. What do you see as, as his role going forward now that he's he's locked in with the Penguins long-term? Ole Mata is kind of an interesting story. Uh, he's had two shoulder surgeries, about a thyroid cancer, uh, and really hasn't had you know two off-seasons. Your back to back years that, where you can properly train and you know, properly uh, you know, prepare for the upcoming season. And as you mentioned, he's still kind of a young guy. Um, I'm interested to see what he can do with a full offseason, albeit a shortened offseason, having won the Stanley Cup. Uh, what he can do with a full offseason of, of training properly and getting ready for the upcoming season. Uh, he just hasn't had that luxury the last few years you know, due to the various health issues I mentioned. 
Um, you know, you did see him struggle at times, but especially with some, you know, one-on-one speed battles uh, in the playoffs this past year. And um, I, I wonder if something like that maybe uh, be rooted in some of those, those interrupted off-seasons he's had. So um, if he can train the way he's supposed to this, this, this off-season, uh, I'm, I'm fully confident he's probably going to perform the show as a rookie uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but now clearly he's a, he's a big part of their future. That's why they extended the, the six-year contract extension to him. And, um, and they fully expect him to be a, a major part of their team moving forward. Uh, at times, they say they wanted him and Crystal Tang uh, to kind of be partners together. And, uh, that, that still may be on the, on, the, uh, on the drawing board here moving forward. But uh, no, no, Olimad is expected to be a major part of their future uh, going forward. Seth, last question for you here. And as, as an insider, as a guy who was around this team, how vindicated did Phil Kessel feel when he got that cup? Uh, I think he'd be, he's very he's very quiet with how his feelings, and at least in terms of talking to us to the media and stuff like that. But um, I, you know, there were times where just when, when even when they just got to the Stanley Cup final, I mean, he was just laughing in joy uh, when they when they beat the Tampa Bay Lightning in the Eastern Conference Final. So uh, winning the Stanley Cup, I, I think. Uh, I think it, there's at least a small part of him that's happy. That's happy that disproves a lot of uh, myths about him uh, not being a you know a player that, that gives it all. You know, not being a guy that, that can come through when it matters. Um, he was you know, arguably their best player in the playoffs. In fact, uh, you know, I, if I would have had a vote for Conn Smythe, I probably would have given it to him. I thought he was their most consistent player from game one in the first round to game six of the Stanley Cup final. And um, it's an, and you, know, you can just see the pure joy on his face. Now, whether that's just him being happy winning the Stanley Cup or him uh, being happy that he disproved a lot of people in Toronto, I'm not quite sure, but I'm sure there's a combination of it. And uh, uh, it was very evident that, that this was a very new feeling for him, and uh, it was a very good feeling for him. Seth, good stuff. Thanks a lot for the time, and enjoy the uh, the shortened off season, I guess, before they, they try and defend that title next year. Sounds good, guys. Take care. Seth, Excellent. thanks again. Good to have you on. That's Seth Rohrbach. Seth Rohrbach of the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. You can find him, again, on Twitter at Empty Netters. Good coverage, not just of the Penguins, really, but of the NHL in general. So, I mean, the guy knows his hockey, and uh, we appreciate him taking a few minutes with us. All right, so there you have your uh, your Pittsburgh Penguins preview. Craig, Jamie, the, 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 the one element that still stands out to me when I look at this team is, I guess, relative uncertainty around the exact rules of the expansion draft. But if you look at Marc-Andre Fleury, you know, we we hear Seth say it there. We we heard Jim Rutherford say it at the uh, NHL awards show very candidly. I want to go into next season with Mark Andre Fleury and Matt Murray, and it makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. As Seth just said, Matt Murray hasn't been on an NHL team for a full 82 game slate, so you have to see what he can do uh, longevity wise. And the Penguins are trying to defend a cup, so they can't really allow for a whole lot of growing pains. But when you start to look at Fleury's contract and the fact that he has he has sort of an odd no-movement clause, so there could be maybe a loophole there. But if they have to keep Marc-Andre Fleury, if they, can't, if, if they have to protect him in the expansion draft, if Matt Murray is, is considered having played professional hockey long enough where they have to expose him, that can't happen. It could. No, it can't. It could. You really can't do that. And it's your worst nightmare. I don't know if it's my worst. It's right up there. Some of our pre-show topics might be a little bit higher, but uh, waking up next to like a urinal cake or something. Yeah, it's, it's oh, pretty much it there. urinal cake made its way into. It did. So we were talking about this off mic. You too. Because of, of course, we were. 
Of course we were. Well, I will say Craig's one salient, salient points. Those two words should never be next to each other. That is true. Game. All right. Um, no, they can, and I'm sure the Penguins have a some sort of contingency plan in place, but that plan may simply be we have to trade Marc-Andre Fleury early next season or midway through because you can't get to next year's expansion draft with Matt Murray unprotected if he has to be protected. What are, what are the deals of his funky no-move? No, I don't. That's the, he. It's like limited. He can be traded to like one team or something. I don't know all the details. Everything you read <laughs> he can block is a trade problematic. To, he can block a trade to Cleveland. He can pull a Luke Roy. Yes, yeah, another cross sport reference. Pretty there much. you go. Now we've hit every sport. Um, it's it's just. I think the bigger issue is, and we talked about the Blackhawks last week, and you start to look at who they can and can't protect, and then you get to Artemi Panarin, and you're like, well, they have to protect him, but then you realize. Under the rules of that expansion draft, they're not going to have to protect him because he's still so uh, young experience-wise in the NHL that he won't need to be protected. So if that's the case with Murray, then the Penguins are fine. You just go into next season with both goalies, play out the whole season with both goalies. Uh, according to the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, uh, Marc-Andre Fleury's no movement has a limited no trade. He can submit a list of 12 teams he cannot be traded to. Yeah. Okay. That's still plenty of teams. Yeah. got some leeway there. And there's, there's going to be teams. Other, yeah, hopefully those 17 other teams need a goalie. Well, Dallas. I want that. Oh, can you imagine that? I wonder, I, I wonder wow. how, if you really did not want to be traded, how you could maneuver. Like, okay, well, this team needs a goalie, so they're on my no trade. This team, yeah. okay, I'm going to make sure the, I leave the Rangers off of my no trade yeah. because they're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there you go. You just identify the teams it. that are rock solid at yeah. Okay, I want make, teams I can You could trade me to Washington, the Rangers, <laughs> Tampa Bay. <laughs> Well, and I'm sure he doesn't want to leave. I mean, I'm sure at this point he doesn't want to, in his career, he doesn't want to go be the goalie for uh, some random team or Las Vegas. I mean, I guess Las Vegas. Go ahead, is just really say Edmonton. Go ahead. I wasn't going to bash Edmonton. That's that's your guys' bit. That's really Jamie's bit. Who, who, who launched this show with Edmonton? What you mean back in episode one? That was me too. Okay. <laughs> so there's really okay. no way I can avoid that. Nearly a full calendar year ago, I think the first team we ever <laughs> talked about was Edmonton. Back when Craig was sitting on the couch halfway across yeah, the old the studio. Couch <laughs> Back when he was just a special guest. We didn't even give him a mic that reached anywhere near him. See, you've moved up. You're right next to the mic. Should say, too, it was great to have Seth on. Uh, that's all Craig. Craig set this up. We, Jamie and I basically said, hey, it'd be cool to have a guest on to preview uh, the upcoming season. And then, again, that infamous trip back from Vegas, Craig and I were talking. We're like, hey, you know, a beat writer or two would be cool. And then the next day, Craig had a full 10-week schedule with, like, 15 beat writers already <laughs> locked in through the end of September. Yeah, we're pretty much worthless. We just show up and take the free coffee. Yeah, and the coffee is good. We missed the coffee when he was in Oregon. That's true. Craig brings the guests and the coffee. Hmm. That, that's why he's the special guest and not just a guest. What do you do? Pretty much. Well, first off, if they asked me that in this office all day, I wouldn't have a job. Oh, okay. That's not good. So let's, let's keep, that, let's keep sh- that. We'll keep that off the air. I don't think it should be called Chai Guevara. I'm hung up on that. <laughs> Apparently. And I'm sure all the listeners will get that inside joke. Yes. Um, anything is, else? is drinking a chai latte right now. Or, the, or as he put it know. in the text conversation, just get me that chai something you got me that one yes. time that was hot. That hot chai thing. Yeah, yeah that hot chai hot thing. Chai thing. This is hot. Those were the words. It's hot chai, chai and it's a thing. I know what I'm talking about. I can order at Starbucks. Uh, anything else on the Penguins? What, what do you think in terms of their, their chances for the title defense? This was off the air as well. So just your thoughts – because I, my initial reaction is it's it's we never see teams defend the title anymore. And then Craig came back with, all right, then who are you picking next year? And that does make it a little, little seem a little more likely that Pittsburgh could do this because they're on the short list for sure. They absolutely are. I, th- I think we all agree that Tampa is a complete team, maybe the most complete team in the NHL. But aside from that, 
everybody's got issues, and Pittsburgh just won the cup with the lineup they're coming with this back exact with. Team. Yeah. So, you know, I know nobody's repeated in a long time since the Red Wings did it, but at some point it's going to happen. And when I look at the past and the teams that have tried to do it, they have as good a shot as anybody. My two main um, worries, I guess, for that team, if, you, if that's the word you can use after you just won the cup, would be, as Seth said, it's a very short off season. When you win the cup, it's even shorter this year because of the World Cup. So that, I mean, that is a factor as you get later in the in, mm-hmm. in the year, and we start to get February, March, April, May. Uh, and then the the other thing would just simply be, I don't think you're going to have a letdown from a guy like Sidney Crosby, who is obviously going to just be driven now to build that legacy up that much more. But it's there. There really did seem to be a sense of relief around that team of, okay, we've done this. Everybody can kind of leave us alone which is either going to make them just come out and fly next year and have a, a phenomenal season because that weight's been lifted, or maybe they lose their edge just enough where a team like Tampa or Washington could catch them in the Eastern, in the Eastern Conference playoffs, not so much the standings. Yeah, it can be re- really hard to restart the engines after you've gone on such a long run and won it all. I've seen that happen to a lot of teams. But, we'll, I mean, you talk about legacy for some of those guys. That would pretty much cement their legacy if they could be the only team in this era to go back-to-back. So No doubt. Now a team that's not going to go back-to-back. Let's transition over to the Vancouver Canucks. That's what the back-to-back is. Uh, Yeah, okay. They might be picking, what, fifth back-to-back years. Uh, The Vancouver Vancouver Canucks. The way we are doing these previews when we're not interviewing uh, specific beat writers is that we just kind of each brought questions to the table that we can throw out for discussion. So do you want me to start with mine? I, I think yours is the perfect launching point for the Canucks. Okay, question number one for the Vancouver Canucks. What are they doing? <laughs> Discuss amongst yourselves. No, Jamie and I are just going to sit here with blank stares now because neither one of us has an answer. You tell me. Oh, that's, that's fair. I, I look at the top half of their lineup and I say, oh, that's a team that thinks they can compete. I look at the bottom half of their lineup and I say, that's a team I know won't compete. Oh, that's a backhanded compliment and an insult. So I don't understand what they're doing. They signed Louis Erickson until the end of days. They have Brandon Sutter signed until the end of days. It and actually says be, on General Fanager yeah, he's signed through the end of day. When they have to put a dot, 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 they're signed <laughs> probably too long. When you, have to, when you have a dot, 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 that means you're not in full rebuild mode. How's that? No, yeah. If you're in rebuild mode, I don't, I don't want to see any ellipses on your page. They should, they, and they have all these neat symbols on General Fanager already, you know, with the uh, two-way contracts. and the. I love the anchor for no moves. Yeah. That's, that, that was a great choice. They should come up with the infinity sign for a guy who's signed, like, beyond six years. Just use the infinity. The Rick DiPietro contract. Get back to us later. Yeah, we look at their blue line, and they look to me like they have four middle-pairing guys and a bunch of AHLers. (laughs) Jamie's so kind when he doesn't like a team. Again, the Sedins and Erickson. Again, I'm fine with that if your team was good. Oh, that's a great line. That's a real nice – it's a great second line for sure. I'm so glad they bought uh, two very nice hubcaps for the right side of their junker. It's so so nice of them. (laughs) So that's great. <laughs> they have no second line that's worthwhile. They're, they're hoping maybe Sven Barchi, Marcus Granlund can be better, well, live up to what their potential was elsewhere. Say, say up to Sven Barchi again. Sven Barchi. Thank you. <laughs> it's very soothing to hear him <laughs> say it. Jake Furtanen's more likely to take somebody's head off than he is to score 20 goals. Wow. This is just a I roster just, I, I by roster it. hit. Jared Emerson Edom can can skate, fly up and down the ice and do nothing. I mean, that's I, I don't see what this team has. I don't understand why they're signing veteran players like Louis Erickson to six million dollar contracts for the next hundred years. You don't like Jared McCann? Oh wait, they traded him. Oh yeah, they did for a probably second pairing defenseman who's four years older and and is Eric Branson's a fine defenseman, but he's 
not NHL 2017 style defenseman. I just don't know what this I, – I, I can see he's – Benning's trying to save his job. It's not going to work, and it's just putting the team back another – this is where you got to have, you think, my opinion, ownership step in and say, okay, where are we, if we're, we're a rebuilding team. If that's what they want, maybe they're going to try to fool themselves well, into, hey, we need to sell tickets. And that's the question. Are the, is, is ownership part of the problem They'll here? Sell why won't there no they, what? Why won't they embrace the rebuild? I don't it, know if they sell tickets there no matter what. They, it, has they, be, it has to be fear from back Yeah, maybe it's fear it? of the market, but then look at Toronto. Who has more fear of their market than Toronto? And they finally embraced it. So and the fans did too. Yes. Yeah. You understand? At, at some, I, I don't think Vancouver fans are naive here. They look at this roster and they say, "No way." Well, Vancouver fans are an angry bunch just in general. Right. Too. But who cares if we make the playoffs and lose in the first round? It, I don't even think that's plausible no. for this for this roster. But, but if that's your goal, what are you doing? I think they're a knowledgeable fan base, and if you sell well, I'm going to make another cross sport reference here. Look at what the Yankees did at the trade deadline. If there's no fan base maybe in the world that demands more from that team because of how much they've won and how, as a Yankee fan, how spoiled the fan base I'm a part of has become to them winning and because it's New York and all those other factors with it. And they, but they successfully moved assets for future prospects that were really good. And, and they the were fan base enjoyed it. it. Yeah. And they were. I think the same thing would happen here. The same thing happened in Toronto, as Craig pointed out. I think if you successfully rebuild and you make trades that fans go – Okay, I see what we're doing here. I see what the long-term vision is. I think they would get behind it. I think just this me- just perpetually being mediocre is the worst place you can be in sports. The Toronto example, I think, is is really the one to point to because you know it's one of those weird things in sports where you get to that point as a team and you realize it's not even so much that you have to bottom out. I, I, I've never liked that angle on it where it's like, oh, you have to be picking first to be able to rebuild your team. But you have to identify what you are. You have to trade away your tradable assets for prospects. And then you're probably going to have a couple years where you're picking early. you got to hit on those picks. But the thing is, and what makes it such a weird thing, is generally speaking, the general manager that admits that and starts to go into that process with, with the, the betterment of the organization as a whole on, my, on his mind is usually doesn't survive it. Right. And so that's tough to be the GM in that spot. But Toronto, you, I mean, in the NHL, Craig, you're right. There's, there's no more hungry fan base than the the fans in Toronto and if they can do it I would think other teams it would make it a little bit easier for a team like Vancouver to justify it to their fans but that's why ownership has to step in if I'm Jim Benning I'm doing everything I possibly can to save my job and if that means if I think I can sign a guy like Louis Erickson and win five more games maybe in his mind then not that Louis Erickson's a five-win player on his own but I can win more games and maybe stay in the hunt and maybe survive another year that's completely understandable from his perspective. But for the betterment of the team, ownership's got to step in and say, hey, look, this is, what we're, this is the direction we're going. And if that's not with Jim Benning, then you make the move quickly. Yeah, I don't know that what he's doing is even saving his hide. I, I think he thinks it is. I, it to won't. Me, to me, I look at it and say, oh, no, this is, this is a GM really not knowing what he's doing. It's this, this is not having the intended result yeah. or the desired result that we want as ownership. But again, I go back to what 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 is ownership telling him? What do, do they they feel that they need to at least be competing for a playoff spot every year? And and I brought this up with you guys in the questions. How do the Sedins factor in all of this? What what is their thinking? Those guys are both signed for two more years. They have no movement clauses. How does that impact that plan that we're talking about? Because those are two big salaries. Well, see, I, I think there's there's two ways you can look at this. On the one hand, you can say we've got these guys locked in for two more years. 
uh, we've got to win now because we have them. Or you can look at it as we can't trade them because, A, they've never been apart for more than 10 minutes, and, B, they have no movement clauses. Right. Or you could look at it, kind of going back to what we were saying with some of these other teams, if you start – now is the time to bring in all these young players because they're going to have those two vets at the very top of the roster to learn from. And I tell you what, I know the Sedins get a lot of criticism uh, just for whatever reason, but they're phenomenal talents – Pretty good guys on and off the ice. I wouldn't mind if my young players were learning from Henrik and Daniel Sedin. Exactly. I think it's one of the two things. Either they're there to serve as mentors, to be those veterans, as we talked about in the Coyote segment, to be those veterans to help lead the young guys. Or two, say, hey, look, we're going into a rebuild. This is what our plan for you is. If you don't want to be a part of that, waive your no-trade clause. Yeah, but then these they want to play together too, right? So it's so it's complicated so trying to move these guys, even if they do waive their no-move. I mean, would they be willing to play a part? I don't know. But so that's, that's it, right? That's, that's, but I think you, you put the, if you're going to make that move, you put the onus on them. Here's what our plan is. We would love you to be here and be our yeah. leaders. We want you two together to lead our young guys. If you don't want that, yeah. you have a no-movement clause. Waive your no-trade clause. We can talk contract. If you want to be a part, want to be together. It doesn't mean you're going to get a ton of return for them. But at that point, yeah. you make and, that decision. And, and take, by the yeah. way, we, we probably won't be able to trade both of you to the same t- team. So. Yeah, because yeah. your $14 million in cap hit going to one team is pretty and, tough. And you're and both 35. Say, yeah. yeah. And <laughs> if they say no, then they're in the leadership role. And they're the same spot you are now. And I would even go one step further. That makes it that much more important to rebuild now because, yes, at the moment it's like, well, they're signed for two more years and we're not going to win in the next two years, so what's, what's the value? Well, in two years, if that's when you finally decide to start rebuilding – then at that point you haven't gotten anything for the Sedins if you could have. And who are your young guys learning from? Basically Brandon Sutter and Louis Erickson, I guess, because he signed Which forever. Which you shouldn't have signed. Yeah. But, again, I, it's, it's, to me it's another reason. Let's rebuild right now. Let's get these guys in here. They can learn from the Sedins. We've got probably maybe not a buffer from the fan base, but at least we can go to our fans – and they are a very hungry and knowledgeable fan base in Vancouver. But, I mean, they were upset even when they were in the Stanley Cup. They can't be, they can't be loving being one of the worst teams in hockey year after year. They're not going to enjoy mediocrity for very much longer. And the moves Vancouver's making aren't going to turn them around next season. But you can sell hope. You can sell hope in sports. It's just you not have... political. <laughs> and, and politics, too. That's a different story. But you can sell hope in sports. Yeah. You, you can be bad and do things to help your team for the future or what you think is going to help. Again, prospects are still lottery tickets, and you can sell a fan base on that. I don't know how you sell the fan base on this roster. Yeah, I don't either. I, I don't understand. I thought that's where you were going initially. I just I don't, I don't think you can sell hope on this roster. No. I, just, I just don't see it. They're, they're too knowledgeable up there, first of all. There's no way. No, there's no they way they can look at that team kind of chance. and say, okay, well, th- this is going to be a playoff contender. There's not a chance. What about Ryan he, Miller? Is he, is he tradable? I mean, he doesn't have a no-movement clause. This is his last year. I, I assume they're not bringing him back next year, nothing against him. But you've got Markstrom behind him, who I'm guessing you view as your goalie of the future. Yeah, he's got a five-team list for his. He's got a no-trade. But he can make a list of five that he will go to. I'm guessing by about January he'll be willing to be traded, especially if there's a team somehow in playoff contention that doesn't have a goalie. It's going to have to be a team that can maybe swallow the prorated rate. Maybe somebody gets hurt then I'm not sure a team right now is going to want to take on $6 million no. of cap space. But around the deadline. It is, it's, it is strange. This is going to be an interesting season just in terms of there's all this talk about Ben Bishop maybe still getting traded or somebody from Tampa getting traded. We just talked about the Penguins goalie situation where somebody might be available and maybe even Ryan Miller. If there are teams in playoff contention that the one element they're missing is a goaltender, they're going to have options. And Granted, it's tough to be in playoff contention without a goaltender, but still. Well, there are a lot of options. 
there's never options for that. How often do you see a goalie get traded right before the deadline to a team that's trying to win? It's it's rare. But it could, it could happen. Like I said, with Bishop, with I think it will happen. with Flurry, with Ryan Miller. I mean, you're looking at teams. You know, I, I'm trying to think of uh, what team maybe could make that move. Could Calgary make that move? Well, I mean, they're. I, I think they're fairly set with Elliott now. I think that yeah. that's that's probably. But it, yeah, if, I mean, seeing how he does, and we'll see. Yeah, I th- it maybe it maybe it will be somebody that gets injured and they just they need to fill a hole. Yeah, there's always that possibility. Or you know, I, I guess Dallas can't really have three goalies, but I, I'm sure they wouldn't mind any of the goalies they we might just try. mentioned. Craig is taking the vow of silence on the Vancouver Canucks, and I can't say I blame him. So do we want to transition over to Colorado now? This, sure. I, I feel like moving, unless you guys have more questions about Vancouver, I'll gladly answer I have a lot of questions, that. just none of them that are going to be answered on this podcast. They're all rhetorical. Yeah. Five rhetorical burning questions about the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Colorado, by doing – this is nice. By, by talking about Colorado after Vancouver, it's going to make the avalanche – it's going to make their prospects look a lot better going <laughs> forward, correct? Because Colorado at least has some fun pieces on that team if they can figure out how to make them all work. And I, I maintain that if they weren't in the Central Division, maybe their uh, fortunes would have been a little bit different over the – not last year, but the year before. Of course, they are in the Central Division, so it doesn't really matter. Well, let's start here. I, they, they obviously just made a, a significant move in, in re-signing Tyson Berry. That, that case was supposed to go to arbitration, did not. Is he a guy who is worth 5.5 a year over four years it, you know, on, on the one hand, he, he he's a special offensive talent. There's there's no questioning that. Are, are we in agreement there? I think so. Yes. But he doesn't play against top talent. He doesn't log very many PK minutes. Is this the kind of guy that you want to lock up that kind of money in? Maybe, maybe he is. Maybe that just shows the value of a right-handed defenseman. I, th- I think that's what the market is now. You're seeing yeah. second second pairing defensemen touch the five billion dollar per year range, especially yeah. the right-handed shots, and that are don't have nearly the offensive talent that, that Tyson Berry has. If I asked you, and this is kind of off topic for just a second but based on total cap hits for the upcoming season where Colorado ranks in the NHL what, what would your guess be and this is I've already uh, cheated so you can uh, that's correct. every time I ask one of these questions Jamie cheats well I'm online as well so why don't you just go ahead and lay it out there. and this is the same response I get every you, time people with laptops in front of them they are, yeah but you didn't know how to use them before they're fifth in the NHL in total I mean that that is surprising for because you start to look at the other teams in front of them LA Pittsburgh Detroit Toronto's up there which is odd but that's misleading well, a little bit. They have five forwards signed to four point seven five million or more. They have three defensemen signed to four and a half million or more. Their starting goalie is making almost six. I mean, it adds up. They don't. They don't have one of those eight, nine, ten million dollar guys, but they have a lot of people in that second little tier. But see, when you have all those guys locked up beyond this year, really, I mean, there's a couple guys like Mikhail Grigorenko and, and Rocco Grimaldi that aren't locked up past this year, but those aren't the big money guys. And their RFA's. And yeah. So for the most part, other than Jerome McGinley, the team that Colorado's going into this upcoming season with is the team that they are currently locked into going into 2017-18 season with. Mm-hmm. Is this a team that inspires confidence in you? No. and I, To be honest, one of my biggest problems with this team is their coach, and I wonder how long he's going to last. He, uh-huh. he won't embrace a lot of what's happening in the NHL today and I think that's a major problem for this franchise and they have to they have to acknowledge it at some point management ownership has to acknowledge that it's so much tougher too when when your coach that you may need to ultimately fire is is a franchise icon that brought you a Stanley Cup and as is, a player and is has his hands in more than just being the head coach yeah and it's just crazy enough where nobody really wants to go into that room and, and have to fire him in person I'm not sure there's a currently employed 
uh, coach that has done less with more over the last few years than Patrick Waugh. Yeah, and, he, and you know, that, that run that they had in the playoffs a couple seasons ago got everyone thinking, wow, he's, he's unconventional. He pulls the goalie with seven minutes left in the game. <laughs> Look at Patrick Waugh. He's, he's defying all conventions in their playoff team. It, that was fool's gold. It really was. And you look at what they've done since, they're, they're not progressing. They're going the other way. You know, and, and they have too much young talent to not be on the up and up. And what are they learning? What, what, what are the lessons they are learning right now? What, what's being cemented in their minds in their games right now by this particular coach? I, I don't think he's helping the organization. Yeah, that 2013-14 season is such an anomaly because they started off picking first. They get Nathan McKinnon. He runs away with Rookie of the Year uh, honors and then hasn't matched those numbers yet in his, his two seasons since. He's been fine, but he hasn't been amazing. And that is really an example of a young player with a phenomenal talent level that hasn't really progressed. Matt Duchesne has kind of been up and down. Gabriel Landeskog has been okay. But there was a time when you looked at those three players and you're like, these guys could be perennial all-stars, and they really haven't turned into that. I, I looked at Colorado pretty closely for something I wrote for the site earlier this week, and their main, their only real off-season acquisition was uh, Joe Colborn. So it's, it's not like they went out and, and <laughs> improved a ton over this summer either. And so I just – I don't – you're right. They should have – a really nice direction. They should be on this really good trajectory, and instead they they went from being 22 points worse two seasons ago than the year before to eight points worse last season than even that that year before that. So it's just yeah, and that's this is not a this was not a case like Calgary's where they probably overachieved for a season, but you can still see the the growth coming. Calgary's yeah. doing a lot of good things with Colorado. You just sort of scratched your head. You looked at all the underlying numbers from that team that went to the playoffs, and you said there's how are they doing it? They're just, you know, they're an outlier is what they are. And then it all came crashing down after that. And I don't, I mean, they do have a lot of nice pieces there, but I don't see hope with the system that they're, they're employing right now. They, they really need to identify that and probably identify it early in the season. But as you mentioned, he is a franchise icon. He probably knows where some of the bodies are buried as well. So it's a really difficult decision to make yeah and I think that leads me to one of my big questions was I know we've talked a lot about the system a lot about Patrick Waugh and what he's done to negatively affect the team you're going to take my question aren't you but is this team just a coach away from being a playoff contender they are one that's a good question so it was not my question mine wasn't nearly that good um it, it is an interesting scenario where a lot of times you see a team switch coaches in the middle of the season and it doesn't necessarily work. This does kind of feel like a team where if they brought in the right coach, maybe that would jumpstart things. But again, they're in the central division. So success almost has to be measured differently for them. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know that they have – I like their skill positions, but I don't know that they have the necessary pieces underneath that to make them that kind of team. Uh, I mean, I, I'm still a fan of Ryan O'Reilly's game and – yeah, he looked. He he was a good player to me, and a, and a player that you probably want to keep around and and build around. You, I mean, again, depth up the middle is one of the most, if not the most important things. That and you know having that stalwart defenseman or two, you got to have that in this league. And they gave away a guy who does so much when he's on the ice. Yeah, yeah. that was curious. They, but this this isn't a bad team though. Like we've looked at a no. few teams already that you look at their lineup and you're like, well, there's a they've got a big hole in defense, so they don't have enough up front. If you're Vancouver, this is a team that has. A lot of talent up front, decent at least top end defense in Eric Johnson and Tyson Berry. And then I guess this will transition to my question: 
does Semyon Varlamov have another season in him like he did a couple years ago? You remember that year? That year they, they won the Central. Waugh was coach of the year. McKinnon was rookie of the year. Ryan O'Reilly won the Lady Bing. Semyon Varlamov was second in Vezina voting. And his numbers were, were good, but it was more just when he made the saves and just how he was playing. And it's always strange to me when a goalie has a, a year that's that good and then it just disappears because mm-hmm. you know he's capable of it now. So is it mental? What's going? Is it the guys in front of him? I mean, again, that defense isn't terrible on paper. No, but I think the problem there is, is you, when you face so many shots so often, and the team never has the puck, that's got to wear on you. I mean, I got to imagine you facing that many shots every single night. There's a point where you're just, no matter how good you are, you're just not able to perform up to that level. I mean, when he, you know, that year he stopped what, almost 93 percent of his shots. Yeah, there's a lot of shots he had to stop. 18, he had stopped 1867 saves that season. In 63 yeah. games. The following season, the three last games, it was 1650. I mean, he's saving a lot of, sh- of pucks. And I think at some point, you just got to wear down. Yeah, not yeah, not just physically, mentally. Yeah. It takes such focus at that position. I agree. You know, it, th- there was some talk here, too, about acquiring Mikhail Bodker last year at the trade deadline. And they didn't obviously didn't re-sign him. He ended up in San Jose. So you look at that move and you say, well, what was it for? Were they just trying to eke into the playoffs, which is probably what it was, which was a bizarre move in and of itself. Yeah. It really wasn't the kind of move that's really going to elevate you. So uh, I didn't understand it. In the end, though, what did they really give up? The Coyotes had even signed Connor Bleakley. Alex Tangay is gone. So you're looking at Kyle Wood, a right-handed defenseman, who might have some promise. but Well, but, I mean, the Coyotes got a second-round pick out of that, though, too. So, yeah. You know, if they if Colorado had re-signed Bodker and, and they were like, this guy's a part of our future, this is more speed up front, then, yeah, you that's fine what you gave up. But then to come out of that trade with nothing, it's like, at what point does Colorado make a move where they come out ahead in the move? Well, and yeah. I think that's where we talk about the analysis process. Who decided that there was a significant difference in the level of play you're going to get for those that month and a half from Alex Tanga to Mikel Bodker? Right. Somebody in the organization said there's a significant enough difference, or they truly thought they could resign him, which, which by any indication kind of seemed odd because Bodker pretty much said, I want to go to a contender. And if you're trying to have to acquire him to fight your way into a second wild card spot, you're probably not a cup contender. And he proved that by taking not nearly as much money as it, it seemed like he might be getting. Yeah, to go to San Jose. So somebody in the, that front office or a group of collectives said Bodker is a significantly better player for the next month and a half than Alex Tangay, so we're willing to make that player swap plus an asset, two yeah. assets, Kyle Wood and then uh, Bleakley, which turned into a pick. Right. Who's making that decision? Now, that's part of the thing, and Bodker, again, somebody that doesn't is not looked upon favorably from an advanced metric standpoint. For Give or take what you, you think about that, the big criticism of Ron Colorado is that they've just not only ignoring it, they're actively fighting against a lot of the analytics of, of possession stats and whatnot. Right. And that's, you start that's, to wonder. That's where I was going with this. I, you know, I, I was making, looking at the devil's advocate. Well, what did they really give up for him in the end? The, the, the second round pick really was what the Coyotes were after in that trade. That yeah. was the biggest value. And we got a sense of that really even on trade deadline day. But again, like you said, what's the logic behind it? What, what's the gain here for Colorado? Yeah, if Tangay wasn't in that deal, it's a whole different story. Now you're just acquiring, I'm going to add another. Now, I don't know what their cap situation looked like. Right. but I don't even have a problem with Tangay because he's a guy that's not going to be back. Find that. It's, why are you giving up that? Was, yeah, but why are you giving up that? either. And that's, What's I, the point? I don't, we don't know what yeah. the conversations were with Jared Boucher, the agent. But he did make it pretty clear that he wanted to go to a contender. He had had enough. 
of the situation he was in here in Arizona, too. He didn't want to be back here anymore. That, that relationship was just over. He wanted to, a chance to go compete, and that clearly isn't going to happen in Colorado. And I'm sure they knew what he turned down in Arizona. I'm sure they had to have known that when they made that deal. It, just, it seems like they made a rental, which would have been fine in theory if, A, they were a bigger contender, or B, yeah. if they didn't just give up somebody that could have done almost the same job. Let me play devil's advocate to you guys playing devil's advocate and, and just well, simply say is there a this. Term for that? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm sure there is, but I can't yeah. think of what it would be. It's not urinal cake, is it? <laughs> it? It might be now. That better not be the name of this podcast. It won't. Okay. <laughs> if I go online and see urinal cakes with Luke Levinsky I and Craig Morgan. Seth, I will make sure. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. Um, I'm, let me just say this. Going back to that earlier point of is this a team that's a coach away from maybe making a change? And, again, we just talked to Seth. The Penguins go out there. They switch midseason. They win the Stanley Cup. Now, Colorado's not winning the Stanley Cup next year. But Colorado finished ninth in the West last year in terms of, of the standings. So they were the first team technically to not make the playoffs. And they finished five points back of Minnesota. I do almost wonder if the right coach came in, if he could sneak them into that second wild card spot. I wouldn't pick it, but – if they're if that jump started them two months into the season, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me, but the, I think the ultimate goal for that team, particularly with all the skill it has, is to be more than that. Mm-hmm. Well, so how do yeah, you make this not team more that. than that? Right, yeah. and, you, and that's going back to what I was asking about Tyson Berry. He, you know, while well, he he brings a lot to you offensively, he's not a guy who's going to play against top skill. So you 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 need more on your blue line than you have right now and you need to fill in those pieces up front as well and and as you mentioned you need Varlamov to play closer at least to the season that he had a couple seasons ago but i still see several pieces missing so i if this team is a playoff team i see it as a bottom of the west playoff team that gets bounced in the first, first round. round so what's the What's the excitement there? And yeah. I, I guess if you wanted to play devil's advocate to devil's advocate to devil's advocate, you have the Coyotes, Flames, and Jets on the way up as well. The triple devil's advocate, devil's advocate at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm confused. Okay. At that point, you're just uh, – is, is that a Starbucks drink? I think triple you're Lou Devil's advocate? Vente? Yes, it's a Vente advocate is what that is. Um, there's other teams behind them on the way up, and there's not really teams in front of them on the way down. Yeah. So Right now, if I said three years from now, okay. who, who are you more excited about? Calgary, Arizona, Colorado? Colorado started on that list, right? Yeah, three, Colorado's three, definitely third yeah. on that list, even even with the skill they have, which is interesting, right? And those guys are de- mostly developed. I know what we're going to – fairly know what we're going to get out of Nate McKinnon and Matt yeah. Duchesne and Gabriel Landeskog. I don't know what we're going to get out of Ryan Strom. Dylan Strom, excuse me. I, you know what you're getting out of Ryan Strom. I know what you're getting out of Ryan Strom. They don't know what you're going to get Dylan Strom or Christian Dvorak or does do, does Domi emerge into an elite winger. I mean, we don't know that yet. Yeah. We pretty much know what we're going to get with those players in Colorado, yet we still – don't see a really bright future for them. And they're in the Central. I, I don't see the Central. They're too young and good to not have enough. a bright future. I mean, it doesn't make sense. No. that's it, They are very enigmatic. They're one of the most enigmatic teams in this this uh, this league right now. It's it's interesting. That's why we're previewing these teams. All right, who we got for uh, for next week? Yeah. L.A. Kings. We've got the Philadelphia I, I can Flyers. Pull up, I can pull up the sheet. And the Ottawa Senators. I, I knew I was just trying to let somebody else talk. L.A., that, Ottawa. That, that, that is the three teams, and we will have – John Rosen on next week, who most of you know. I, th- I think a lot of people in in uh, most NHL markets know John Rosen at this point as L.A. Kings insider, uh, yes. former colleague of mine with Fox, and now doing a great job uh, at the Kings site. Uh, very knowledgeable guy. Um, yeah, and you, want former, some, you want to know something about the Kings, you as, follow him. Yes, and, and I may also plug this for John as well, a former Everett Silver tip as well, because he loves it when that gets mentioned. There you go. That's how we we'll introduce him next week. Just remember that. Yeah, one. can you throw that my way again? And, and former Everett Silver tip. 
John Rosen. The uh, the Kings are, are a team that I've got some questions about, so I'm, I'm glad we're having him on next week to uh, talk about that and then Ottawa and Philadelphia uh, as well. So that'll be fun. Hopefully everybody enjoyed the Pittsburgh preview. The I'm sure you didn't enjoy the Vancouver preview, but you know we got to get through all 30 teams. And then Colorado as well. Uh, any closing thoughts here before I sign off, gentlemen? I wonder how we're going to stay awake through the wild preview. They Luckily, we'll have Mike Rousseau on with us. Thank goodness. No, that, one, that, that will be good because Mike Rousseau, again, another – I mean, everybody here, but Rousseau really – Yeah, he, he'll keep us on our toes. On the pulse of that team, which – They're a playoff team. Yeah. They were a playoff. I think well, they're a playoff team again with Bruce Boudreaux. We'll get into that in a few weeks. All right. For Jamie Eisner, for Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to Episode 44 of the Natural Hat Trick Podcast. What's what's the official Ooh. name for like those ta- the, the tablets that are in the urinals? Is there, there's got to be a name they, for I think it, isn't pucks. there? I don't know. Uh, uh, it's like, I don't know. Some of them are some of them are blue. Some of them turn your toilet water blue, which is yeah. just freaky to me. All right? Yeah, I, I don't, problematic I don't. if you have a large dog. That you know. <laughs> <laughs> we're leaving all this into. All right, that was our reaction to the Penguins preview. <laughs> I don't know what they're called. What they called like urinal patties? Like what are they called? <laughs> You're sitting at an internet. <laughs> That's a good start. Urinal patties works though. We should, no. we should, you could market that. That's, you could market urinal patties. Urinal cakes. Yeah. Urinal. No, that's no is that what it is? That's what, for real. What? Urinal cakes. It sounds like a food. Yeah. Custom custom urinal cakes. Well, urinal you know, for the, not patties. pleasant food, obviously. <laughs> sounds like a burger you company. Can't, you can't. Yeah, they're called urinal cakes. See, that's cakes. that's a classic juxtaposition of words that never belong together. Urinal and cake. Urinal cake is like meatloaf, right? It's worse than meatloaf. It's far worse than meatloaf, yeah. <laughs> it should have been glow puck. They can still change it. <laughs> lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.